Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Genesis Church. And today we're continuing in our series on the lawn. We're looking at the longest sermon or message that Jesus gave during his ministry. It's often referred to the Sermon on the Mount because he delivered this message to his disciples while sitting on a hillside along the Sea of Galilee. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Matthew 5 through 7. And in this message, Jesus covers really a wide variety of topics and issues. But the overall theme is how the Christian is to live in this world. One of the words that we see throughout his sermon is the word righteousness. When Jesus uses the term righteousness, in essence, he means living the right way or living the way God designed us to live. It's been said, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't teach people how to get saved. It teaches saved people how to live. Righteousness is not only the right actions, but it's the right motivations. Jesus is teaching his disciples that your inner qualities are as important as your outward appearance. And in chapter six, Jesus is going to specifically highlight the importance of right motivation when it comes to doing good deeds. And he's going he's gonna to show this or apply this in three fundamental areas, the area of giving, prayer, and fasting. And as we walk through this passage today, I think it's an opportunity for you and I to pause and to look at our hearts to examine our hearts, to kind of hold a mirror up to our hearts, to examine the motivation and the desires of our hearts. Do the inner qualities of our lives match up with our outward appearances? If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Before we go any further, uh, let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that you loved us that you sent him to die on the cross for us and that in Christ, uh, we have eternal life. And I'm thankful that Jesus gave us this message that here in the Sermon on the Mount, that you teach us how to live uh, as saved people, as uh, Christ followers in this fallen and broken world. God, I trust that you have something that you want to speak to each one of us today. I trust that you want to encourage our hearts and renew our minds. And so, God, would you just do that? Uh, As we open up your word, as I share, I ask that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds. Speak to us today, Lord. Help us to hear your voice. We want to follow your leadership, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Jesus says, when you practice your righteousness or when you do good deeds, he's saying, don't do them to be seen by others. Now, to be seen means to be noticed or to be admired. In fact, the word that Jesus uses here uh, is actually used to describe being a spectator at a public show. Uh, Think about a parade or a sporting event, uh, some kind of performance. If we're not careful, we can often do good deeds as a kind of performance to be noticed and admired by others, to impress others. We can do the right things for the wrong reasons. For example, husbands, 
we can take out the trash, not because we want to serve our family or help around the house, but because we want to avoid the wrath of our wives. At work, you can take on an extra project or responsibility, not because you want to be a good team player, but because you're trying to impress your boss and your coworkers. You could sign up for a service project, not because you really want to serve those in need, but because you know it's going to look good on social media. Kids, you can do some chores around the house, not because you're necessarily being kind and you want to be helpful, but because you're really just buttering mom and dad up because you're about ready to ask them for something. Well, here in Matthew 6, Jesus says that that's not the way God has designed us to live. According to Jesus, if we do things just to impress others, then the only reward we will get is whatever applause or approval we receive from the spectators of our performance. You won't receive any applause or approval from God, Jesus says. And so here's the principle for us today. As Christians, we make it our goal to please God and not people. As Christians, we want to make it our goal. The motivation, the desire of our hearts is to please God and not people. No matter what good deeds we do, we are to do them with a heart that is motivated to please God. And Jesus is going to apply this principle, if you will, in three areas, giving to those in need, prayer, and fasting. And these are three fundamental good deeds that the Christian is to put into practice. But before we look at that, I'd like to address an important question. How do we gain a heart that is motivated and desires to please God? I don't know about you, but I found that I just can't snap my fingers and suddenly my desires and my motives are pure. I find that I often have mixed motives. At times, my motives are pure and unselfish, loving and good. But most times, most times there's this, uh, this internal battle, if you will, where my selfish and impure desires are battling against my uh, unselfish and pure desires. I want to please God, but I want to impress others too. I, I want to please people. And so how do we go about purifying the desires and motives of our hearts? Well, as far as I can tell, there's really only one way our hearts are truly transformed. And that's by gaining a greater grasp of the gospel. By gaining a greater grasp of how much God loves us and what he's done for us on the cross. The only way to make this heart level shift from living to impress others to living to pleasing God is by grasping what God did for us on the cross. So let's take a few minutes and just review the gospel. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. The Bible says that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. But as Hebrews 2 says that Jesus, being fully human, he lived a sinless life. He, Jesus did what Adam failed to do. He always obeyed God. He obeyed God all the way to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus accomplished two major tasks for you and for me. First, he paid for our debts. Sin is anytime we turn away from God and we live life our way. We live life the way we want to live, not the way God designed, it to li designed life to be lived. Well, the Bible describes this as sin. And, and the Bible tells us that sin is a debt that we owe God. And the only way for you and I to pay that bill, to pay that debt, the debt of our sin, was through our death. Romans chapter 3 
uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. And it's not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death. It's a separation for God for all eternity. That's what we deserve because of our sin. But the gospel is this, that on the cross, Jesus stepped in and died for us, that he paid the debt on our behalf. And so for the Christian, we no longer owe God anything for our sin. Our sinful debt has been paid in full. That's why on the cross, Jesus said to Telestai, paid in full. But that's just the first major task that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Here's the second. He also gave us all of his righteousness. Think about this with me. Jesus was the only person who ever lived a perfectly righteous life. He's the only one who ever lived a sinless life. He's the only one who lived a life exactly the way God designed it to be lived. And on the cross, he takes our place and he substitutes it and he gives his life to us. He gave his life so that we could have ours. ours. On the cross, he credits all of his righteousness to us. Let me try to illustrate this um, with uh, the arena of education. The moment that we step into school as young children, we step into a world that runs on a success-failure system, right? We're all, we're all familiar with this. If you get A's in school, you're successful. Uh, and because you're successful, you have great worth and value. And you're accepted and approved. You are worthy of honor. And so the message from a very early age is your performance determines or equals your worth. If you perform poorly, you're, you're just not as successful. You're not worth as much. Uh, no one with a C average gives the valedictorian speech on graduation day. The valedictorian is the title given to the student who achieves the highest academic performance in their class. And one of the rewards is, uh, of being a valedictorian is giving the final speech on graduation day. They're often uh, also rewarded with uh, scholarships to the best universities in the country, along with other opportunities and privileges that come with having achieved such high success in school. Jesus living a perfectly righteous, sinless life is like him earning the valedictorian title. With his life performance, Jesus achieved what all of us have failed to achieve. He achieved the, the perfect 4.0. And the truth is, compared to him, we all flunked out of school. So on graduation day, Jesus, the valedictorian, is giving the final speech. And the truth is, he's giving it to an empty room because none of us deserve to even graduate. But picture this with me. The gospel says that just before Jesus goes on stage to give his speech, the speech that he rightly earned with his sinless life, with his perfect 4.0, he comes to you and me and he takes off that valedictorian robe, that, uh, those honors, and he offers it to us, to you and to me. He offers his perfect 4.0 and all of the glory and the honor and the worth that he earned with his life and he gives it to us. He gives us his righteousness and we can take it on. We can receive all of the benefits and the privileges and the blessings, all of the approval and the honor, all of the significance and value that Jesus achieved. He gives it to us as a gracious gift. Isn't that good news? This can radically change the way you view your life. Now here are two implications, just two that I want, to, uh, for, uh, want us to see for today. First, if you're a Christian, your worth and your value is not based on your performance or on your achievements. 
Your worth and your value and your significance is based on Jesus's performance. In fact, you can kind of say it like this. Christianity says that Jesus's performance equals our approval and value. His performance becomes ours and we get all of the approval and the value that he achieved with his sinless life. He gives it to us. And that leads us to the second implication. And that's this. If you're a Christian, you can stop performing. You can stop performing. The performance is over. School is over. The classroom is closed. You have Jesus's perfect 4.0 report card. You have valedictorian honors. There's no greater, higher honor to achieve. Jesus achieved it for us and he gave it to you. We can't do any better than that. And so there's no reason to be sitting in the classroom. I, I just have realized in recent months, for, for most of my Christian life, I, I've, I've still been sitting in the classroom. My guess is that's true for a lot of us, that they were still sitting in the classroom, even though school is out, it's over. Jesus achieved the highest honor. There's no reason, there's no reason to be there. There's no reason to keep performing in an effort to gain approval and value. We don't have to try to impress others anymore. We don't have to perform to earn our righteousness. Instead, we get to receive our approval and our value from Jesus's performance. The question is this, well, how do we do that? How do we access that uh, performance for ourselves? How do we get that? How does that exchange happen? It happens by faith. Now, there's a lot could be said here, but just for this morning, I just want to highlight one verse here. Romans chapter three, verse 22. The apostle Paul writes this, this righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you can receive the righteousness of Christ. And when we begin to grasp this awesome truth and reality, it can change the motivation and the desires of our hearts. Here's how pastor and author Tim Keller says it. He says, quote, all change comes from deepening your understanding of the salvation of Christ. Let me say that again. He says in his book, The Prodigal God, Keller says, all change comes ultimately from deepening your understanding of the salvation of Christ and living out of the changes that that understanding creates in your heart. Faith in the gospel, Keller writes, restructures our motivations, our self-understanding, our identity, and our view of the world. Isn't that good news? Now, how does the gospel, how does that reality impact what Jesus is gonna say to us here in Matthew 6 about giving to those in need, about prayer and fasting? Well, let's take a look. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But... When you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, when you serve others, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus says, don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Uh, the, the principle is this, for Christians, we make it our goal to please God and not people. And now we're gonna apply it first to giving. Jesus first shows us the wrong way to give. 
right? He says, don't give like the hypocrites do. Now, what was wrong with, what, with the way they gave? Well, it wasn't what they gave, but why they gave. They gave or they served others. They gave of their resources. They served others in order to be honored by others. Some translations read that they gave to be praised by others. They were giving not because they truly cared about meeting those who had needs or serving those who were in need. They gave because they wanted to please God. They gave not because they wanted to please God. They gave because they wanted to impress others. And Jesus called them hypocrites. Now, hypocrite, you may know this. Hypocrite was the Greek word for actor. And one commentator writes this. He says, they were pretending to be something they were not. They were assuming a false identity, putting on a theatrical display. The truth is they were not giving for the glory of God or even for the benefit of the needy. They were giving for the praise of men. The Pharisees were giving because of what they got out of it. And isn't it true that we can often do the same thing? Uh, We can often give and do good deeds for what we get out of it. Uh, We give as a way to pad our resume, if you will. Uh, If a high school student wants to get into a prestigious college or university, he or she needs more than just good grades these days, right? You need to do some good deeds, some extracurricular activities. You need to get involved in some various forms of service to others. And why does a student student do this? Well, because they're trying to enhance their reputation. They're trying to build a more impressive resume in the hopes that their accomplishments, uh, their good deeds will gain the acceptance and the approval of of the college or the university that they want to go to. Well, in a similar way, if we're not careful, we can do good Christian deeds. We can practice the spiritual disciplines of giving and praying and fasting as a way to enhance our reputation and build a more impressive resume in the hopes that we will gain the acceptance and approval of others and sometimes of God. But if we take hold of the gospel, and the acceptance and the approval we already have in Christ, then we can begin to give and to serve those in need, not because we're trying to please people, but because we want to please God. We can forget about ourselves and trying to uh, bring attention to ourselves. We we give just for the sake of giving to others and and, and to please God. That's why Jesus says, give in such a way that you don't even let your uh, left hand know what your right hand is doing. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, you need to do your good deeds in secret and try to keep them a secret even from yourself. One author writes this. The idea here that Jesus is getting at is that not only we are not to tell others of our giving or bring attention to uh, our giving, we are not to make a big deal of it ourselves. I love this. He says, we are so subtly sinful that we will refrain from an outward show in giving and then we'll pat ourselves in, in, on the back for, the, for our profound humility. <laughs> I find myself doing this all the time, right? I'll do things around the house. I'll do some good deeds. I'll wash the dishes. I'll sweep the floor. I'll do something and I won't tell Paige about it. I won't necessarily try to draw attention to it, but in my own heart, my mind, I'm patting myself on the back because I'm thinking, aren't I such a good husband? And then I'll, th- I'll think, well, I, and I'm also so humble that I'm not telling her about the good deeds that I'm doing. Oh, man, maybe you can relate to that. When we rest in the righteousness of Christ, we're free from having to, having to bring attention to our righteousness. We don't have to keep a list anymore. Uh, we don't have to keep a mental list. 
Um, we can stop letting our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And so here's what my challenge for you this week is. Find some way to give or serve someone in need this week. And do it because you're not, don't, don't do it because you're trying to impress anyone. Don't do it because you want to be a good Christian, but do it because you want to please God and serve others. And when you give to someone or serve someone this week, don't make a big deal about it. Don't post it on social media, right? Don't draw attention to yourself. Just keep it, uh, just keep that good deed a secret between you and God. All right, so giving, Jesus addresses giving. Now he's gonna address prayer. Let's look back at the text, Matthew chapter five, uh, Matthew chapter six, verse five. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus, once again, starts with, he shows us the wrong way to pray and the right, the right way to pray. He says, the wrong way to pray is to pray like the hypocrites do. Well, what were they doing that was wrong? Well, the leaders and the teachers would often pray publicly in the synagogues and in the street corners. That was a very common practice. And Jesus isn't condemning public prayer here. There isn't anything wrong with praying in front of others. The problem was the desire and the motivation of their hearts. They prayed in order to be seen or honored or praised by others. They were praying not because they wanted to get to know God and they wanted to be close to God, but because they wanted to impress others. And Jesus is saying, listen, um, when you pray, when Jesus says, when you pray, you're to go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. And Jesus is telling us that the real measure of our relationship with God, the real measure of our prayer lives is not what we do in front of others, but how we interact with God in private, in the secret place where it's just between you and God. So you may come to church on Sundays. You may be involved in a small group. You may serve. You may try to do good deeds in uh, your everyday life, but what does your prayer life look like? Uh, the measure of your relationship with God can really be, the quality and measure of your relationship with God can be uh, best uh, described or explained based on your private prayer life with the Lord. When it's just between you and God, spend some time alone with God in prayer this week. If this is new for you, I want to encourage you to set aside one or two mornings a week. Uh, if you're more of a night owl, then pick one or two nights a week and get alone with just you and God. And don't, try, don't do it to try to impress someone or to be a good Christian or, or don't even do it because you're trying to uh, necessarily gain God's approval. Do it because you want to spend time with God. Do it because you're so motivated by love for God because of what God's done for you out of an overflow of grasping God's love for you. You just want to spend time with him. You want to enjoy time with him, delight in him. Do the good deed of prayer and spend time alone with God. And don't make a big deal about it, right? Don't passively mention your prayer life to your spouse or to a friend. Don't draw any attention to yourself. yourself. Just keep that good deed of prayer a secret between you and God. All right, let's see how Jesus is gonna apply this principle in one more area, in fasting. So we've addressed giving, prayer, and now fasting. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. 
Jesus says this, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus, once again, shows us the wrong way to fast and the right way to fast. He says, don't fast like the hypocrites do. What is fasting? If fasting is new to you, I would give you just a, a brief description of what that is. Fasting is going without food or temporarily denying yourself physical hunger, meeting the need of physical hunger so that you can give more attention to God and to your spiritual hunger. Fasting was mandatory for the Jewish people once a year during the Day of Atonement, but people would often fast as individuals or in groups for various reasons. The Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. In fact, uh, we're told they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And so Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees once again for doing the right thing with the wrong motives. They fasted in order to be seen or honored or praised by others. They, they were not fasting because they wanted to deny their flesh and seek God, but because they wanted to impress others. Now, fasting in the church today has largely become a lost discipline. We should take note that Jesus says, when you fast, there was this assumption that fasting would be a, a good deed that we would practice regularly. And so if you've never fasted before, I wanna encourage you to give it a try. Here, here's what I would say. Start simply by selecting one day where you can fast over lunch. So let's say it's a Monday. You'd eat breakfast in the morning and at, you'd eat dinner at night, but you don't eat anything in between breakfast and dinner. And so you go the whole day during the day without eating. And during the lunch hour, when you would normally uh, eat lunch, take that 30 minutes or 45 minutes or even an hour, take that time and go find a quiet place to be alone and pray. You could find a, a quiet spot in your office building, a quiet place at home, maybe somewhere like the library or a park if you, the weather's nice. Go find some quiet space during that lunch hour and spend some time alone with God. Bring your Bible, maybe bring a pen, a, a journal or a notebook and spend some time uh, praying and connecting with God. Now, when you do that, when you fast, don't make a big deal about it, right? Uh, don't passively complain to your spouse or your friends or something that night at dinner time that you're so hungry because you fasted today. I've done that before. <laughs> don't draw attention to yourself. It's so hard because when you do something like that, you, th you think, oh, I want, I, want, I want someone to know. I want someone to notice. And Jesus is saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. And why does he not, why does he want us to stop worrying about whether others notice us? It's because he says, over and over again, he says, because your heavenly father notices. You may have noticed there's a, that you may have seen a pattern in each of these three examples. Jesus used the phrase and he says, uh, with both, with all three, with giving, with prayer and with fasting, Jesus says, uh, so that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father, your heavenly father sees you. He sees your life he loves you. And if you're in Christ, he delights in you and he approves of you and he accepts you. And when you begin to grasp that his acceptance, his approval, his delight, his pleasure is all you need, it begins to free you from worrying about pleasing others. And then 
you can just make it your goal to please God and to serve others. So, as Christians, because of the gospel, that's our goal. We make it our goal to please God and not people. We want to serve people. And the more we grasp this, the more we'll be able to live out of this freedom. If you're listening today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you, you think to yourself, I'm not sure I've ever had my sins forgiven. My debt has been paid. I, I don't know that I've ever had that done. And I don't know that I've ever received the righteousness of Christ. You can do so today. You can do so just by simply praying to God and confessing God that you have a debt, a sin debt that you can't pay. And you can acknowledge and give thanks that Jesus Uh, was the one who died on the cross and paid for your debt. He paid it in full. And that he offers you all of his righteousness, that he credits his righteousness to you. And you can receive that by faith today. I hope you'll take that step. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that Romans 5, 8 says that you loved us so much. You demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that on the cross, you not only wiped out all of our debts, that we don't owe you anything for our sins, that we're free from our sins. We're also free from having to pursue our own righteousness. We're free from having to perform to earn your approval and acceptance. That in Christ, we have the approval and the acceptance and the righteousness of Christ. And so we come to you empty-handed, just ready to receive all of the blessings you've given us in Christ Jesus. God, I ask that you would help us as a church family live out of this place of freedom where we begin to grasp the gospel. Would you help us? Give us the power to grasp how much you love us. Give us the power to grasp the love of Christ and set us free so that we can make it our goal to please you, God, and serve others. We pray this in Jesus' name.